Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the wideness in your mercy. And may we understand that truly and may it shape and impact every other area of our life. I pray in your name. Amen. My great grandfather began following Jesus and subsequently became a Seventh-day Adventist when he was in his 20s. He embraced all the things that are Adventism, including the health message. And so when he accepted Christ and he became a Seventh-day Adventist, his uh, whole diet changed. His, his meat-eating diet and changed, and he stopped drinking coffee. For 60-plus years, this is the way he lived, and this is what he was committed to, these ideas, these truths. And then when he was in his 80s, he got Alzheimer's. Actually, in his late 70s, he got Alzheimer's. And by the time he was in his 80s, they had to put him in a nursing care facility. And as they do, when you go to a nursing care facility, they ask you to fill out, you know, are there any dietary restrictions or anything? Noel, can you hand me that bottle of water right there? I have a catch in my throat all of a sudden. Oh. Well, that will be remembered. (laughs) Well, to pray for the Spirit to help him to remember what comes after that. What was I talking about? (laughs) My grandfather, great grandfather. He got Alzheimer's. Thank you. (laughs) No pun intended. He got Alzheimer's (laughs) and he went into a nursing facility and they asked him, what are the dietary restrictions? Asked them, what are the dietary restrictions and all this? And so uh, they filled that out. And my aunt said once, my aunt was telling us a story that one day she walks in there and whether it was oversight or carelessness or just one of those things that happened, she walks in And there's her grandpa, my great-grandfather, sitting there with a plate of food full of things that he would not have partaken in for 60-plus years, happily drinking his cup of coffee. She said it was both humorous and sad at the same time. But the the Alzheimer's has had, of course, a serious illness, had, had caused him to become so disoriented that he no longer knew what he had believed for so many years. He no longer understood the truth that he had uh, lived by and that he had, uh, uh, that he had declared all of, most of his life. In the case of my grandpa Wiggins, it altered his beliefs, but there is a spiritual illness. Hear this, there is a spiritual illness that comes about when a right understanding of the gospel is disoriented in our minds. And that spiritual illness is this, that, that when we don't understand the gospel correctly, then all of our other beliefs become warped and altered. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Matthew chapter 23, and we're in the third sermon of our sermon series, Woe. And if you weren't here last week or you were not watching online, I want to encourage you to go back to our Spencerville Church YouTube page and you can watch the message from last week. It's called Woe, 
more harm than good. And the sermon starts about 19 minutes into the broadcast. But in that sermon, I, I started it by pointing out two dangers that, that we face when we uh, uh, come to this series. And the first is this, that we, in the, in the language that we read, woe to you. And in this uh, section, it will say, woe to you, you blind guides. And in another place, it says, woe to you, you f- or you fools, you blind fools. And we can read this and we can, we can hear some, some harshness and some victiveness in this. I, I want to ask you to not see Jesus in that way. We translate this word in the English woe and it sounds harsh and vindictive. But the, but the truth is, is it a, is a word in the Greek that conveys a heart that is broken in sorrow, a heart of love that looks at people and says, why are you not walking in the ways that I've instructed you to walk? And, 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 a, and a Lord that is heartbroken because he loves us so much and he wants to correct us and guide us back. The second danger is that looking at Jesus' original audiences, the, the scribes and, and the Pharisees, and, and that Jesus calls them blind guides or, or hypocrites, that we are in danger of, of not seeing ourselves in these messages. Because, of course, everybody else is a hypocrite, but never us, never us. We're, we're perfect. As Craig Keener, the commentator, uh, wrote, modern Christian readers often think of Pharisees as hypocrites and hence do not feel threatened when hearing them denounced. But is the human heart, he says, it is a human heart rather than an ethical system that Jesus here confronts. You have a human heart. I have a human heart. So we are all in danger. We are all in danger of replicating the actions, replicating the beliefs, replicating the thoughts of the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law. Last week, we explored what happens when folk don't understand the gospel, how that impacts their witness. And we looked at how in two ways it impacts the witness. We're looking at two woes in each of this sermon series. And, and, And it impacts their witness by one, in some cases, we actually put up barriers to people coming to Jesus through the things that we do in our witnessing. The, the second way that, that, that not understanding the gospel impacts our witness is that sometimes we lead people to a, someone that is not Jesus. We lead them to our ideas. We lead them to our institutions. We lead them to a denomination rather than a true understanding and love for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this week, I want us to understand that not understanding the gospel also impacts how we believe about everything in Scripture. Now, when we talk about the gospel, just for review, just to remind us all of what that is, and Pastor Ron talked a little bit about it, but to remind us what that is. The word gospel means good news. It's talking about Another very Christian word, salvation. And here is why it is good news. Every single person in here messes up. You messed up this week, probably. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Maybe you messed up and that you weren't patient. Maybe you had a thought go through your mind that that was not a controlled thought, that was was not an appropriate thought. Maybe maybe you were, were not dedicated enough in your work, or maybe you were suffering from the other sin that you were too busy and you neglected 
your time with the Lord. Every person on this earth messes up. We break the laws that God who created us established for our good. And as Christians, we believe that, that just as there are laws in the human race that, that deserve consequences, we understand that there are laws established by God that deserve consequences. And the Bible tells us that, though, that when we break the laws of God, or as we call it, sin, that the consequence of this is death. Not just a physical death, but a, an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, we can read how God never created us for this eternal death. He actually had a whole different plan for us, but, but we chose to go our own ways. And the Bible says that each of us have chosen that same path throughout history. But God loves us so much and God loves you so much that he came up with a plan. And his plan was, you know what? The Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Son is going to come down to earth and be born in human form, and that's who we call Jesus. And he's going to live a life that we fail to live, a sinless life without mistake. He's going to resist the temptations of Satan, which, of course, he did. And he's ultimately going to die on a cross. And because he was perfect, the grave could not hold him in the ground and Jesus came back to life and he rose up out of the ground and he went to heaven and he went to heaven with this promise that anyone, anyone, no matter who you are or what you've done or, or how bad you may think you are or how bad the devil may tell you are, that anyone that believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. And if you accept that payment of his death, you will have salvation but you know what? There was a problem that existed before Christ. And there was a problem that existed in the time of Christ. And there's been a problem that exists since that time and exists even to this day. People throughout history and even people that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ begin to believe or, or, or get distracted in some way. And they think, if I just work hard enough, if I just do good enough, if I just focus on the right things enough, then I can somehow get Jesus to love me more. And Jesus says, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more because I already love you infinitely. And that is the gospel. But we, but we try to earn our own way into the good graces of God. And the Pharisees were a group of people that did not understand that God's love is infinite, that God's love is complete, that God's payment for our sins and iniquities is enough. Finished, done, nothing you can do. It's enough. It's a free gift, a gift of love. And so teachers throughout Christianity have been trying to help people understand that Jesus paid it all. We sing about it. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. We sing about it. We talk about it. We read the Bible verses about it. And yet somehow we still sometimes get distracted and we lose sight of the gospel. And when we don't understand the gospel correctly, when we're not oriented to the gospel, the good news of Jesus and Jesus alone saving us, then all of our other beliefs become disoriented as well. And this is what we see happening in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse uh, 16. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. 
But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes you the gold sacred? If you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by an oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tithe of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, as Jesus refers to them here as blind guides and as hypocrites, did not understand who Jesus was. They did not understand the gospel. They did not understand that God loved them infinitely. They did not understand this idea and thus their view of truth was distorted. And we see this distortion in these two woes. The first woe shows us that when people don't understand, when people don't understand the truth of the gospel, when people don't understand how they are saved in Jesus and Jesus alone, that they begin to manipulate other truths. They begin to manipulate other truths in their life or even in the Bible in order to fit who they are and how they want to live so that they can somehow stay in the good graces of God. We adjust our beliefs because we're saying, I don't understand the gospel, but I still want to feel good with God. And so I'm going to manipulate this truth in order that it still keeps me in good graces with God. An inconsistency develops in the truth that they embrace. The preacher, the English preacher, Charles Spurgeon wrote in his commentary on the book of Matthew. He says, the Jews invented fantastic forms of swearing in order to evade the use of the divine name. What Spurgeon is referencing here is, of course, the third commandment, which says, thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord in vain, the name of God in vain. And so they did not say Yahweh and they, they did not swear on things that are related to God. And so they, they tried to get around breaking the third commandment by manipulating what they could and could not swear upon. They wanted to feel like they were still honoring God, even as they were actually dishonoring God. Jesus, though, taught us the true meaning of the third commandment. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, you might remember this from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. They, they were saying, okay, well, we, we still want to be able to make promises or try to look super holy. So we still want to make these O's and these vows, but we don't, we're not willing to just say yes or no, just be honest. 
Continuing with Spurgeon, he says, Jesus had forbidden all swearing, chapter five, so that he was not exalting one form of oath or another, but rather he was pointing out the folly and the blindness of the scribes and Pharisees in reversing the right order of things. If any swearing, he says, had been permissible, an oath by the temple must have been more binding than one by the gold of the temple. Yet these false teachers said it is nothing. And then listen to this phrase. This is a key phrase. When men once quit the plain teaching of Jesus Christ, it is easy for them to go into all manners of heresies or absurdities. When we Listen to this. I believe what Spurgeon is saying here. When our view of the gospel gets disoriented, our view of all other doctrines, all other truths becomes disoriented and we can easily go into all kinds of heresies and absurdities. Have you ever found yourself saying or thinking something like this? I know the Bible says but I don't really think it meant A, B, C, or D. Have you ever heard or said yourself or thought yourself, I know this probably isn't the best, but I think God understands. So I'm going to do whatever it may be. Or what about this? I know that according to the Bible, this is wrong, but, but Jesus just wants me to be happy. So I'm going to say that this is actually okay. If when we do these things, we are practicing the, the, the casuistry of the Pharisees. To quote James Montgomery Boyce, he says, casuistry involves making my, minute distinctions in the law in order to avoid the true meaning of the law or escape its consequences. When you and I don't understand we are saved by grace and grace alone, when we believe that somehow the law or us working ourselves into right relationship with Jesus is what saves us, we have to begin to adjust God's law. Because here's what we all subconsciously know. We all subconsciously know that we do not have the power to save ourselves. We know that we do not have the power to win God's love. And so, so in order for us to still feel like we're in God's good graces, we adjust things so that we fit into what we think will work for God so he will still love us and see us as good. Because really, we're trying to live by our own power, through our own strength, and in our own ideas. The Pharisees were trivializing God's law. And this happens every time we make delicate distinctions about things the Bible teaches, arguing, this may be sin, but... but this closely related type of misconduct is not, or, or Jesus may be saying this, but then again, he may not be saying this. So, so whatever you think is best, that's, that's okay. When we fail to take the Bible statements and value them and insist that truth is truth and that God is the only one who has authority to define truth, then we end up manipulating God's laws. This is the result of a misunderstanding of the gospel and, an, and, we, and a need to make the law fit us so that we can save ourselves. If you all understand what I'm saying, then you will already recognize hopefully this. This is not a legalist problem. It is not the problem of a liberal. This is a human problem. 
Salvation by works is a human problem. The legalist may decide that they're going to focus on one particular thing that they can control. They may say, you know what? If I just don't wear this jewelry, then God will love me more and I will be more prepared for salvation. We've met folk like that. I had, a, I had an individual when I was a student at Southern that, that believed that my hair bleached white and held up with Elmer's glue was, a, was not something that was in line with the gospel. And maybe some of you agree with that and we'll pray for you on that. And he, in, in all seriousness, he put his arm and his hand on my shoulder and he prayed that God could still use me in spite of my hair. It's a true story, true story. And hopefully you still pray for my hair that is now graying and receding. But, but, but we have these things, but, and we tend to think about people that are legalists as being about works oriented. But the truth is, is the liberal is works oriented as well. We could think about something like the Sabbath and we could look at someone who says, you know what? I want to keep the Sabbath. And well, I read this text, I read these texts and it doesn't quite fit with where I'm at in my life. So I'm going to read that one text that says, the Lord says we're to delight in the Sabbath. And this must mean that God is happy for me to do whatever I want in any way possible. And they completely neglect all the counsel from God about the Sabbath being holy, a day set apart for the Lord. Both the legalist and the liberal are trying to adjust God's views so that they can fit into this acceptance of God and what God wants for them. When we really understand the gospel though, and we understand that Jesus and Jesus alone is enough and what Jesus has done for us, we no longer want to manipulate things. We no longer want to avoid things because we begin to find delight in the law and the teachings and the instructions of God. In our house, every Friday night and sometimes other times when uh, Christina thinks that we should do it, we uh, do this thing called twos and throughs. So twos and throughs, some of you have been to our house and know what this is, but uh, twos and throughs, we say, how has God spoken to you this week? So how has God spoken to you through, through some interaction with a person? How has God spoken to you and maybe something in nature? As you read God's word, how has God spoken to you? So, so we talk about how has God spoken to us? And then we talk about how has God spoken through us? And, and we go and we say, what has God done through someone else so that, so that you could see Jesus, so that you could, uh, or I mean, so that you could share Jesus? How has God spoken to us and how has God spoken through us. And I'll tell you that sometimes these can get a little long as we have to say, you used that one last week. We need a new one this week to some of those. And maybe Christina says that to me sometimes too, but, but we have to be reminded of this. Well, when I was dating Christina, I would go to her house, her family's house, and they did all these like sharing games like this, twos and throughs and appreciations. And I want to say with as much love and, and compassion as I can, that I hated this. And when I say hated, I don't mean, I'm not being hyperbolic. I hated it. And I always tell my kids, we don't say we hate anything except for sin. That's the only thing we hate. We only hate sin. We don't hate anything else. But I hated doing this activity. And, 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 and I'm sure that, that Christina could feel my disdain. And I'm sure I did not hide my, my angst about this sharing time very well. It's just not something I grew up in, in our 
in my culture, we didn't grow up doing that. And, uh, and so we would do this. And then Christina brought this into our marriage and I would buck against it. And people would come over and she goes, okay, now we're going to do a sharing thing. We're going to do our twos and throughs, or we're going to appreciate each other. And I'd be like, oh, please. And I would always, you know, make jokes about it. I still make jokes about it because I can't give up that joking. But, but here's something that I've noticed that has happened. I will tell you in all honesty, I now actually value it. I now value it. So, so something that happens in marriage, and I hope this happens in all of your marriages, that, that the longer you are married to someone, the more you love that person and the more you respect them and the more you honor them and the more you cherish them and the unique things that they bring to your marriage. And, and I hope that that happens in all your marriages. And, and, and I, I, I like to say this, that, that new love is exciting and feels good, but, but old love is actually good. New love feels good, but old love is actually good. And, and as I've grown as an old love with Christina, this old love that we have, uh, I appreciate these things so that, and here's how I know that I appreciate them. When Christina's gone, I still say to the boys, what were your twos and throughs? And Christina's no longer there to compulsory appreciation, <laughs> compulsory thinking about Jesus. Now, now I go, let's do this because as I fall in love deeper and deeper with my wife, I appreciate things more fully. And I delight in some of those things that she has brought into our marriage. And it is the same thing. When we understand the gospel, when we understand how much Jesus loves for us, even though not one of us deserves it, we go, wow, wow. And you want me to do this? Okay. That's awesome. This is great. I delight in this law. I no longer need to manipulate it. I no longer need to manipulate it. Last woe, and then I'll be done. Is the second way in which not understanding our Lord's love through the gospel impacts our understanding of truth. Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24 Woe to you, teachers of the law and, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. When I have a wrong understanding of the gospel, I will manipulate certain laws, certain ideas of Jesus, to accommodate me so that I can still feel good about trying to earn my way into his good graces. But also what happens is that when I have a misunderstanding of the gospel and what I see in this second woe is that there are things of God's law and God's teaching that I will neglect completely. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were meticulous in returning their tithes and offerings. The law required tithing and offerings of the firstborn flock, according to Deuteronomy and according to the book of Leviticus. But the Pharisees had, had greatly expanded this to include a tenth of even the household spices, such as mint and dill and cumin, that were grown in the household pots. So not just their fields and the outside things, but, but even the tiniest thing, are you tithing on it? And we see in this passage that Jesus is pointing out 
their minutia, their, their, their obsession with the minutia. And we think that Jesus may be about to condemn the meticulous observation of the law, but he doesn't. In fact, he, he affirms it. He says, hey, you know what? That's okay. I'm glad you're doing these things. But here's the problem. When we don't rightly understand the gospel, sometimes we become obsessed with the laws that we can control and we ignore the laws that are a little more messy. We, we obsess with the things that we can measure and we ignore the things that we can't measure. We, we are obsessed with, with knowing that, well, I gave my tithe. I went to the church on the right day. I did my Bible studies for this much time. We're obsessed with the things we can control, but, but we forget about the things we can't control, like loving others and loving God fully. Jesus does not say they are wrong to tithe spices. On the contrary, he says they should not neglect tithing. What was wrong is that they allowed the concern for what they were, could control to obscure the matters of love that they were, that they, uh, the matters of the law that were about loving other people. They obscured the things that were less controllable. And Jesus tells us what those things are. He says, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Basically, Micah chapter six and verse eight. I have shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord desires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, God sends messages right when we need to hear them. Just last week, I was defending some of us. I was defending some of us with Pastor Candace. We were having a debate, and in the debate, she was saying that every single person needs to be involved in regular service to someone else within the community here in the church and outside the church. And I said to her, well, you know, there, Mrs. White says that some people are individuals that, that provide for the ministry and there's others that are more gifted in doing the ministry. And so I was trying to defend some that, that don't do the service as much. And Candace was like, no, that's not okay. We've got to do this. And, and we, we, we need to do more to, to get people involved in serving one another. And God sends messages because that very day we were having that debate in staff meeting. I go home and I start studying this passage once again. And you know what? God showed me that I was wrong and I hate being wrong. I hate being wrong. Because what this text says is we all need to do both. We support with the money. We support with our actions. We have to do both. If we haven't understand the gospel, according to Jesus, we are likely to be faithful and tithe. If we don't understand the gospel, according to Jesus, we'll be faithful and tithe, but we may neglect the people we should be serving. Jesus says that the the former has importance of straining a gnat. A gnat is an unclean animal. If you've ever swallowed a gnat, I apologize to you. You have eaten something unclean. I know that I swallowed a gnat because I've had that moment when I take a sip and I think I see something in the drink, but I'm too lazy to really see what it is. And then I feel it in my mouth and going, and I go, oh man, I just swallowed a bug. You know, I confess I eat unclean gnats. Or in our house, fruit flies, aren't they? But I don't know. There's something like that. 
But Jesus says, you strain the gnat, but you end up swallowing the camel. He says, in other words, you're worried about, about the, the smallest unclean animal, but you end up swallowing and eating the largest unclean animal. I think it was Jesus's kind of attempt at a joke. But then he says, to live justly towards others, to practice mercy, to be faithful in our relationships with God and man. We should do this while also tithing. Are you good? Let me ask you this. Are you good at the laws that you can control? Are you good at going to church and paying tithe and having your devotional time? But are you less good at obeying the messy laws, loving the unlovable, forgiving and living out that forgiveness when someone has wronged you, caring for those that are different than you, the stranger and the immigrant amongst you. If we are good at doing the laws that we can control, but we are neglecting the laws that we cannot control, then we might have a misunderstanding of the gospel because the love of Jesus through the gospel compels us to practice the latter while not neglecting the former. So family, here's what I want to challenge you today to do. To examine your beliefs and your practices around those beliefs. Are they in line with the Bible? Do you ever try to manipulate the Bible in order to make it say what you want it to say so that you will feel good with God or because you think maybe God will love you more? Are there beliefs that relate to loving and caring and forgiving one another and our fellow man that you are neglecting? If so, I want to pray that Jesus will plant the gospel deeply in your heart. Because folks, we are saved and we are sanctified by looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are saved and we are sanctified, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. We are saved and we are sanctified only as we understand that Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. And that love changes your heart. And it is only then that our beliefs really become truly right in light of the gospel. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to walk with you, that you'll help us to have your vision for truth and not based on simply trying to figure it out ourselves or manipulate our way into your good graces. But Jesus, change us by truly understanding your gospel. Help us to know you, Jesus, that we may live according to your word because we have a deep and an old love for you that changes all things. In your name, Lord. Amen.